Are you hooked by Jesus? Has he captivated everything you are? Is, is, is he compelling in your life to the point where it alters everything about you? Are you hooked? I pray you are. And then I talk to you about the fact that years later, after experiencing so many God-sized things, living with Jesus, watching him perform miracles, witnessing some, some amazing supernatural things, and then hearing some incredible teaching that can only be, be described as, as extraordinary, just amazing authoritative teaching, and also experiencing so much other life with Jesus. After three years of that, Jesus is killed before them and he is crucified before him. But then they saw the impossible. They saw that he was alive. And two times Jesus had appeared to them and shown himself to them and proven to them that he was alive again and that he rose again. And last week we went to John 21 and we talked about where Peter and James and John and other disciples are together and They're at a loss. They still haven't processed everything. And Peter looks over at his companions and he says, I'm going fishing. And we talked about this. And and his companion said, we'll go with you. And we talked last week about how Jesus, if you will, used a deja vu experience. They fished all night, caught nothing. He stood on the shore. He filled their nets, you know, all of that. He used this deja vu experience, if you will, to tug the line and remind them, you're not fishermen anymore, men. You belong to me. And you'll remember that I ask you, has, is, is the Lord tugging you to remind you that you're not what you used to be? Your past is past. You're brand new. You're walking with the Lord. Is he tugging that line? And some of you responded to the fact that you sensed that the Lord was reminding you of who you are. So we had the sermon on hook and we had the sermon on line. And today, you know where I'm going because I already told you and I already showed you. We're going to talk about going deeper. We're going to talk about Jesus, if you will, taking this whole thing to a very deep level, the sinker conversation that occurs. So this amazing miracle has occurred. Jesus has invited. Well, let me just come to this part because I love this part. I love when the moment when John, his beloved disciple, recognizes that the man who did all of this again is Jesus. And he turns to Peter. May I remind you, Peter, who had denied knowing Jesus, Peter, who had wept bitterly and felt, I'm sure, a lot of guilt and shame. He turns to Peter and this whole deja vu, tug the line moment. He looks at Peter. He says, it's the Lord. And the Bible says, I love this response from Peter. This is so Peter. He girds up his loins, if you will. He puts all the the outer garment around himself and he dives into the water and and he makes his way in the shore to see Jesus. He wanted to be right there. And I just have to wonder as he approaches the Lord, it dawns on him, oh man, I denied him. And here's what I want to read to you. Because Jesus invited them to have breakfast with him. He invited them to bring some of the fish they had caught and he invited them to have breakfast with him. He already had breakfast cooking. So imagine the aroma when they reach the shore of fresh fish in the morning, just caught. 
And so there they are. There's bread there. And I want to take you to John 21 again and go to the sinker part of this moment here. John 21, beginning with verse 12. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. He came, took the bread, gave it to them and did the same with the fish. May I interrupt myself and ask you if you remember any other meal where the disciples had fish and bread from the hand of Jesus? Remember when there was a multitude of people and Jesus broke the bread and broke the fish? And so this this was a reminder and a tie, I think, in, in that sense to them. Oh, their minds must have been spinning. As they sat here, this was, listen, verse 14. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And before I I forget to say that or say it a little bit later on in my sermon, I love those last words the last verse jesus looks at peter after this sinker conversation and he says follow me the very words he had said to peter way back when he said i i want to hook you and you're you're somebody i'm 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 setting aside to follow me be my follower and and this is a powerful moment for peter And so we'll come to this. uh, If I can recall it, I'll come to it a little bit more. But the sinker in this sermon for me is the narrative that Jesus, where Jesus takes a conversation deeper and deeper with Peter. He brings it down to a depth. And I ask you to please remember that this conversation happened right in front of the other men. And it wasn't just for Peter's benefit. I believe it's for ours today. I believe it's apropos to us here in America in 2016, sitting here in the gospel chapel. In fact, I would suggest to you that the Lord will eventually have a conversation like this with all of his followers. And eventually we're confronted with the same question that Peter confronts or is confronted with. Talk about being direct and to the point. They're eating breakfast. They're wrapping it up. They enjoy their time. And again, I just wonder if in that firelight, after the novelty of the fact that Jesus is sitting there, if Peter's mind doesn't start to roll and he doesn't start to feel a little bit shameful and guilty. 
for the way that he denied his Lord. I wonder if he was a little sad in his heart about his, his cowardice, honestly. The, the way he folded to the pressure. And I wonder if he stopped making eye contact. You know how you do when you don't really want the person to talk to you? <laughs> and I wonder if he sat there staring into the fire. I wonder how much he was able to eat. I just, I, I think about that moment. I think it was a, a difficult moment for Peter. And suddenly the silence is broken and the, if you will, the mundane part of the conversation is broken. And Peter finds Jesus calling his name. And he looks up and Jesus with his laser gaze is reaching into not just the eyes of Peter, but Peter knows that he is into his soul. You know that Jesus can do that, right? You know that when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't just see the surface. You know that Jesus has a gaze and a, and a vision that is divine. He looks at Peter, and it's that kind of gaze. And he says to him, Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you truly love me? Is really the word. Do you truly love me more than these? Well, what does that mean, Lord, more than these? What are you talking about? What, what could more than these mean? That kind of takes it deep. And that's the sinker conversation that the Lord is having with him. But what is he talking about? Do you truly love me more than you love these other guys? I don't think it was that. I don't think Jesus was asking Peter if he loved Jesus more than he loved the rest of the men around him. I don't think that that was the conversation. Or was it, do you love me more um, than these other guys love me? I don't think that was it either because I don't believe Jesus goes around comparing the way people love him. By the way, just to interrupt myself, Jesus wasn't trying to get information here. He already knew the answers. Just so you know, he knows how much we love him. He knows where our hearts are. It seems to me that it would be a little bit like this. Do you love me more than these boats and these nets and your old ways and your old haunts and your former life? Do you love me more than all of this? Because where was it that Jesus found Peter that day? Back to his old life, back to his familiar ways, back to fishing for fish. And Jesus had already told him, from now on, you're going to fish for men. And he's out there fishing for fish. Peter, son of John, do you truly love me more than you love your old life? Do you love me more than your old ways and your old haunts and the old relationships you have? Do you love me enough to give all of that up? Do you love me more than these? That to me makes the most sense out of this narrative. That that is what Jesus is saying. Are, are you more in love with me than your familiar comfortable ways? Or are you retreating back? Because that's what he had done. And that's what we talked about last week. He had gone back. Well, why Peter, Pastor Ken? Because the other guys were there too. My suggestion to you is a couple of things. Peter was the one who influenced everybody else to go fishing with him. He was their leader. And leadership, folks, isn't just a position. Can I just say that? Leadership is influence. And that's why I want you to know you're leaders. 
Because you influence people. And leader, leadership is influence. And Peter had a great deal of influence. He had a strong personality. And because of that, the Lord was speaking to him. It was Peter who initiated going back. And he drugged some other guys with him. Well, he didn't drag them. They went voluntarily. And Peter would have been pegged by Jesus earlier for leadership. So Peter, Peter it was. And I do know, I do believe that part of this conversation had to do with the fact that Peter had denied knowing Jesus. And this had to be dealt with. This had to be dealt with for Peter's sake and for Jesus' sake. This had to be dealt with for the kingdom's sake. You know, the Lord can't let sin just go unanswered. He can't. He has to deal with it in some way. There's a confrontation and we can count on that. That he loves us enough that he's not just going to ignore it. He's not like that. Sometimes husbands and wives do that in their relationships. They just pretend that the elephant in the room isn't present. And they just try to walk around the elephant. But Jesus will always confront that which is in our lives that may be in the way. And he does this with Peter. Do you love me more than these? Man, that takes it deep. That takes it deep. That's the sinker conversation with Jesus. And again, the thing is, it's the conversation that Jesus will eventually have with every one of his followers. If you love him, if you follow him, he is going to ask us at some point, do you love me more than your old ways? Do you love me? What a powerful moment that is when the Lord brings the sinker out and takes it a little deeper. In my more than 30 years of preaching the Bible, I have not discovered anything in this book that tells me that something matters more to the Lord from people than our love for him. It's the best thing you can do in life. I need to say that again. If you want to aspire to be the very best that you can be, the best that a human being can be is a lover of the Lord God. It's the highest calling of our lives. It is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord, your God, with all that you are. We sang about it. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the the most important thing to Jesus. You need to hear me say this again. He has given you talent. He has given you abilities. But in comparison to how much he wants you to love him, he does not care what you do for him. And you need to hear that. It's not performance. It's do you love me? Peter probably had charisma and talent and all, but until it was birthed out of absolute and 100% love for Christ, the Lord couldn't use him in an effective way to be a fisher of men. And I'm going to tell you that that's what's always going to matter to the Lord. Do you love me? And this is an important thing for us to do. And again, the Lord knows he wasn't looking. He wasn't examining Peter. He wasn't probing with these questions to find out if Peter loved him. He already knows that answer. And he doesn't bring us to this conversation. It isn't for his benefit to find something out. It is to challenge us to know our own hearts. Do we love him more than these More than the things and the trappings around our lives, do we love him? So for the rest of this sermon, I'm going to tell you what you already know. 
because it does answer the question or at least helps answer the question. How much do I love the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe that there are many indicators of what matters most to a person. I want to talk about three of them very quickly. And these three will help you assess where you stand in this sinker conversation. Do you love me more than these? It will at least be a good place for us to start. And I've alliterated it and everything. So it's not even complicated for us. But these three areas of our lives will help us at least be able to to assess how we love Jesus. And by the way, everybody loves something or someone. And some of us love ourselves too much. Let's just be honest. Some of us do. But everybody loves something or someone. And so how do you know? If you love the Lord, as you say you love the Lord, or how do you know what you love most in life? First word I want to bring uh, bring to your attention is the word talk. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in the area where I grew up, we had a saying about people who were direct. I mean, people who had no filter. And this is the saying, if it comes up, it comes out. And there are people who just say what are on their mind, right? You know who they are in your life. Man, they don't hold anything back. If it comes up, it comes out. It's just out. Boom. And they say it. And honestly, I do pretty well with them. At least I know where I stand with them. I kind of like direct people. I've always liked direct people. At least I know where I am with them. And so as long as they're not nasty about it, I'm pretty appreciative of a direct conversation. I don't mind somebody, quote unquote, telling me like it is. I'm okay with that. Oh, thank you. (laughs) She's direct. I'll tell you that. All right. But, but. But what consumes, what's your conversation like and what consumes your conversation? What do you talk about? Because that's an indicator of the things that matter the most to you. If I were to ask you to pull out your telephones today and begin to look through your call history at who you have talked to and then go ahead and flip over to your text and start looking at what you talk about in text and then think about what you do on social media. What are the things that are part of your everyday conversation. What do you talk about? I will tell you that if you are a proud grandparent, I'm almost, and I don't in any way wager, but I'm almost sure that there will be something in the phone that about that grandchild. It just happens that way. If you're a proud parent or, or there's something you're passionate about, it shows up in the things that you talk about. Amen. I have some people who drive me nuts talking about relatives. Okay, Uh, family members, their cute little grandchild, and they just won't stop. I love them. I appreciate it. But I've heard enough about little precious. Okay, I want to talk about something else. But they're passionate about that grandchild. You've been there. You've done that. You know, people who are like that. And you can tell a lot about what a person has passion for and loves by how they talk and what they talk about. What gets you excited or even angry that you just have to share with other people, that you have to verbalize them? What consumes your conversation? I I hope at least in your lifetime, at some point, you have been around at least one saint of God who just can't stop talking about Jesus. I love them. 
There was a little lady that I've told you about in a, in the church that I pastored in central PA over, over near Sunbury. And God bless this, uh, little lady Myrtle. She, she, if you had a five minute conversation with Myrtle, you're going to hear about Jesus because she's in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. She's over a hundred years old right now, still alive as far as I know. But when I knew her, she was in her eighties. She had buried three husbands, not because she killed them, because I teased her about her cooking. And I said, you must be a terrible cook. And I picked on her and stuff like this. But she was such a godly woman and is to this day just in love with the Lord. And I promise you, nobody... Not at the grocery store, not anywhere. Nobody can have a five-minute conversation with Myrtle Wren without hearing about Jesus Christ because he is her life. And that's what she says all the time. I remember I went to the grocery store and there she was. And she was in line getting ready to be waited on. This little lady, unsuspecting, waited on her there at the checkout counter. And she started to have conversation. Honey, how are you doing today? Or ma'am, how are you? And she says, oh, Oh, honey, I'm so blessed. I have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I hope you do too. And that was Myrtle. All the time, everywhere you went, she always sang. She always verbalized her love for the Lord. I'm just asking you, does he ever come up in your conversation? Do you ever talk about how much you love the Lord and what he has done for you. I pray you do. I see some heads going, yes, I do talk about him. Good. That's an indicator for you. That might be, in my view, a very positive thing. If you're able to talk comfortably about the Lord Jesus Christ or the the Father God, God, the Holy Spirit, if you're able to speak about the Lord openly, that is a good indicator that... Perhaps he does have you hook, line, and sinker. That's my prayer. That's what I want to be normal for Christians. And I know that we live in a society that's becoming a little more hostile every day to that kind of conversation. Don't stop. Shout it from the rooftops if you want to. We serve a great God. And he's worthy of us talking about. Do you mention him ever? To your co-workers, to your family members. I don't mean that you have to be obnoxious. I don't think the Lord wants you to be obnoxious. But he should be in, included in our conversation. Wouldn't you think if you love him? If I love Darlene Dusa, every once in a while I'll probably say that. I'll probably talk to somebody about my wife. If I love her. I mean, that's how it should be. I hope she she says good things to other people about me once in a while. You know, I'm hoping... It's an indicator. Can I ask you, do you talk enough to him? Is, there, is he in your prayer life? And I mean, do you, do you pray? Because again, it's an indicator. If you love someone, you want to talk to him. Am I right? Or her? If you love someone, don't you spend time doing that? I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. But I love watching couples like Janelle and Brandon. They're engaged and they're the kind of couple. And I don't know that you guys do this, but they talk a lot. I do know that they talk to each other a lot. And what's so cute to me when a couple like this is together, you know, and they're engaged, they'll 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 spend a lot of time together. But when they leave, they're like on the phone with each other. They're texting. Oh, you're so cute. 
You know, that kind of stuff. I love that. I love love. Love is a fun thing. And it, and it comes up in conversation. Don't tell me you don't do that. I know you do. I'm not trying to embarrass you. But it's cute. It's fun to watch. I like watching young people in love. What happens? What? Your, your heart is captivated. You think about them all the time. And they come up in your conversation. Again, my question to you is, do you talk about the Lord? Is he part of your conversation? If he really isn't, and you know the truth, you know whether or not he ever comes up then that's an indicator of your heart. The Lord would look at us and he, he would take it deeper and he would say, Son of God or Son of Man, do you love me more than these? Daughter of man, do you love me more than your, your friends, more than your, your other parts of your life? Do you love me the most? Do you love me? Because nothing is more important to the Lord from you than your love. Nothing. Let me... Share lots of links. There you go. Let's, let me talk to you about time. I talked to you about talk. See, I told you I alliterated it. Your time. We all have the same amount of time. We know that, right? What I mean is every single one of us have 24 hours in a day. Somebody doesn't get 25 and somebody doesn't get 20, 23. We all have 24 and 168 hours every week. I'm not going to break it down any further. If you want to get on your phone and break it down to the near nanosecond. I don't care. But but the question is or the comment is we're all allotted the same, same amount of time each day to live a life. What consumes your time? It's an indicator. It's an indicator of what you love or who you love. We each choose how every hour is spent. So if a pie chart was created and you were looking at that pie chart and it's chart and it's analyzing your time for this past week, what would it show about you? And maybe someone would say, oh, Pastor Ken, that's a bad week to do that. Man, I had a rough week. And I will tell you, you know, I had one of those crazy weeks. My, my cousin passed away, and uh, I got a phone call about that. Had to leave Sunday, and I spent most of the week down in, in uh, Delaware and Maryland uh, meeting family and, and officiating his funeral. So, yeah, it was a crazy week. And so maybe, maybe last week wouldn't have been a good week for me to pick. So what if you were to consider the past 52 weeks? And if you had a way of knowing how you spent your time on your best week, you could pick your best week as an indicator of what you think of Jesus. What would that say about who you love the most? Your best week. What would it say about who matters the most? What would it indicate about your love for Jesus Christ. The best week in this last 52, this last year. What does your time say of your love for Jesus Christ? The thing is, in America especially, I think a lot of us profess a strong love for the Lord Jesus. But would the best week of our past year indicate that? For some, I really believe it would. For some, I believe that this is not an issue either. The time is spent and a good portion of time is devoted to loving on Jesus. I believe that. But for so many of us, it not so much. Not so good if we were to chart it out. You see, we say we are followers and we're lovers of Jesus Christ and that we are his servants and that we're part of his church. But do we really spend any time investing in his kingdom? We like belonging, 
but do we want to invest ourselves in him? Son of man, daughter of man, do you love me more than these? What does our time say? The consumption of every day. Here's the thing about time that's difficult to think about today. I don't want to upset you. I have a friend who every single week will drop a marble into this this half-gallon-looking plastic jug. And each marble represents a week that's gone and spent, and he can never get back. And he has put a, a, a marble inside that container <clears throat> for every week that he has lived his life. He is in his 50s. And he realizes that about... Uh, if he's really blessed, at least half of his life, that time is spent. That week is gone. The thing about time is that we lose it. <laughs> it goes away. It's over. After you have lived the next second, it's gone. And so it's precious. Amen. And so what we do with our time should really matter because we never get to retrieve it. We never get to to change it. Once once we have lived out a day, there it is. And so here's what I'm trying to say to you. This is a difficult thing for us to remember, but we have to remember, we have to remember, folks, that time is ticking away and opportunities are ticking away. And every single second, there are people pouring into eternity. Every single second. I... I want to share a verse of scripture. Uh, it would be Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It simply says this. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We need to be time redeemers. Time runs out and we will have no other opportunity someday to to make a difference in this world while people Lose their souls in eternity. That's the problem. Because once we, we our bodies are done, then that's it. We, whatever has happened is the fate is sealed. And we have no time, no way to make it better. No way to fix things between us and God. And for some, it's run out. I just want to interrupt my sermon for a second to brag on Jesus Christ. I told you that my my. Cousin passed away very suddenly. He had a heart attack. He was 55 years old. He had a very sudden heart attack, and he was gone. I was very concerned because, you know, very frankly, my cousin was an alcoholic. Never really uh, darkened the doors of a church very much. He did some, but not very much. And But I talked to him several times about the Lord and his... Answer usually was, I know, Ken. I, I, I truly know. I know. And so I'll be honest with you. When I got the news that Paul had passed away suddenly with a heart attack, it was pretty heartbreaking to me because I love the guy. And I thought, oh, Lord, will he spend eternity without you? And I got there and I was meeting with family to prepare for the memorial service. And in our conversation, I, I talked to my, his sister, my cousin, Diane, and I said, Diane, what, what really happened? And she said, well, Paul was at home at the time 
and I was at work, and she works very near where Paul's house was, and she said, he called me up, and he nobody was around but him, and he said, Diane, I'm having trouble. I have tremendous chest pain. My arms feel numb. My lips feel numb. And she was within a minute or two, was right there at the house. And as soon as she saw him, she called 911. Paul was sitting in a chair, and he was kind of like this, holding on to his chest because he was in a lot of pain, trying to catch his breath. And Diane pulled a chair right up to him and held on to his shoulders, looking him in the eye, head on head. And she's saying, Paul, you need to hang on. I called 911. And they were sitting there talking very briefly. And he looked at her and he said, Diane, I think you should leave. I don't want you to see what's about to happen. I'm dying. And they're not going to make it. He knew. And Diane looked at him and said, you're my brother. I'm not leaving you, which was a good thing. And so the next thing out of Paul's mouth was, I... I need to pray. And in front of Diane, he prayed to the Lord. And when she told me that, my mind first, this is the preacher in me, I wanted to know what he prayed. That's what was in my mind. Well, what, what, what did he pray? And the Holy Spirit caught me, and I didn't ask the question. The Holy Spirit said, Ken, what did the thief on the cross pray to Jesus? Remember me. It wasn't, Lord, forgive my sins, I repent. It wasn't, Lord, take my sins and wash them away. It was none of that. It was a simple little call to the Lord. Remember me. God, remember me. When you, Jesus, when you go into your kingdom, remember me. That's all he had to pray. He didn't get baptized. He didn't do any of the things that we want you to do when you come to know the Lord. All he said is, Lord, remember me. And the Lord said to me in my spirit, that's all it took. I saw his heart. I know what he wanted, and I forgave him. And I was able to share that story with my family, that that's the kind of God I serve. We don't deserve his love. We don't deserve that kind of grace from God. But that's the God I serve. He's the one who will, on a cross, suffering his own pain, offer forgiveness and, 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 and allow this man who has done terrible things. And he looks at him and he says, because you asked for me to remember you, because that was your heart toward me. You're going to be with me in paradise today. I interrupted myself to say to you that we have limited opportunities and God was gracious to my cousin and not everybody gets that. God was so gracious to him. And I, I, that's what I did. I spent a lot of time praising the Lord for his grace, for his kindness to offer that. But folks, time goes away. And here's my, my deal. I don't want to die before I have a chance to do more for Jesus. I want to use the little time I have left. I'm going to be 60 in October. That means more than half of my life is over easy. No matter what, unless God performs some great miracle, then I don't know that I want to be around that long. I'm just saying. But I have things to do. There are people in my oikos that I want to win the Christ. I want them to know Jesus. I have things that I want to do. What do you do with your time? And how does that indicate what you think about Jesus and how much you love him? What are you doing with your time? It's such an important question. I want to live my life in such a way that somehow, by his grace alone, he'll be able to look at me in eternity and say, well done, Ken. I just want that. 
That's what I desire. One more T word, treasure. Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And some of you saw that word treasure and you thought to yourself, here it comes. He's going to be asking me for money. And I want you to understand that I know this is a difficult and sensitive subject. And I know that these in these times there are more people in financial distress than ever. And I want to put you at rest and tell you I'm not going to stand up here and ask you for a dime. Never will I. I don't want your money. And I'm not asking you for your money. I want to teach you something biblical. And I want to tell you that your treasure and what you do with your possessions is a great indicator of how much you love someone or something. It takes it to a deep level. But this is the truth. I am saying that what we spend our money on and our treasures on indicates what's priority in our lives. So what consumes your treasures? If you look through your financials, where is your money going? Pat answer would be Pastor Kenneth's bills. I, and I always run out of month before I run out of money. You know, I'm, I just, you know, it's always bills. And I understand that. But our ouch moment here is not spending what we need to live on. It's in spending more than we need to live on, on ourselves. Or at least on something that would indicate our love for them. Here's what I'm trying to ask. And this is where I get in straight into meddling and and I'm just going to going to ask these questions for us to consider because we're talking about do we love Jesus Christ? Are we ever guilty of having payments that are higher than they need to be because we want a bigger house than we need or a better car than we need? Or we want nicer clothes than we need? And does that put us into a place financially where we're just not able to give tithes, offerings, because if we did, we would have troubles with our credit card company. That's the question. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Some people have teased me about the fact that I drive around no cars. And I think my newest car has 120,000 miles on it. And uh, my, my oldest has 200 and some thousand miles on it. And here's the reason why I choose to do that. I don't have to have car payments <laughs> if I don't buy a brand new car. And it still gets me from point A to point B, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with driving, uh, and I'll use some vernacular of some young people, a hoopty around. I'm okay with that as long as it gets me there. It doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to get me there. And so for me, it's not a fashion statement. It's not a status of my worth. If I drive a nice car, it doesn't say that I'm, I'm a special person. So for me, it's never been an issue. It's just hasn't. I'm happy to drive a less than nice car. Would I like a really nice car? Of course I would. 
They're fun. They're awesome. I would like that. But I'm not going to. This is my personal choice. I would rather have funds available to minister to people than funds available to just ride around the cool looking ride. It's me. I don't wear designer clothes. I never will. The only way I will is if I go to Salvation Army and they happen to have something that somebody donated. I might buy it there. But I'm not the kind of person who cares a whole lot about being in fashion. I didn't know if you noticed that or not. But I'm not. I don't care a lot about if I'm in style, if I fit, if my way of dressing. Here's the most important thing to me. Two things. It needs to be clean and it needs to cover up stuff. Okay, that's my my criteria for clothing, especially as I get older. It needs to cover up a lot more stuff because I'm going I'm doing you a favor. Trust me. Okay, so so clothing to me is just clothing. Shoes are just shoes. I'm not criticizing anybody. It's not a sin at all to wear nice clothing or to have nice things. No sin is in that. It's not sinful to have a good car. I think it's awesome. And I always celebrate with people when they're able to have a nice ride. Here's all I'm saying. Just let's just be honest about it. It's an indicator of what we love. That's what I'm saying. It's the allocation of whatever we have of what we love. You'll remember that the Lord commended the one who gave the least one day. Because actually, she, although what she gave was a small pittance of an amount of money, what she gave was her all. And he looked at her and said she was the greatest giver in the whole room. It's proportional. So if you have nice things, I praise the Lord. I don't look at rich people and think ill of them. I thank the Lord that their talent enough, capable enough, maybe fortunate enough to have a whole lot of things. I think that's awesome. I'm really glad for them. I don't begrudge them and I'm not trying to get their stuff from them. I'm hoping with what God gives me. And by the way, God takes care of Darlene and I. I just need to say that I'm bragging on him. He's never, never had us in a situation where somehow we weren't able to meet all of our obligations financially. And trust me, sometimes he's asked us to give and we're we're looking at our checkbook going, ha, 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 because it's not there. But the Lord has provided every time we've obeyed. And so for us, tithe is not because it's an obligation. It says, I love you, Lord, because I recognize that every capacity I have to earn money came from you, comes from him. If I can do a job, if I can preach well, or whatever it is, if I can do a job and I can do this well enough that you're going to compensate me and pay me for it, it all is because God gave me the ability. It's not because I'm special. If you have a capacity to work today, praise the Lord for that. God did that to you. If you stand up and you're able to take a few steps, praise the Lord for that because God gave that to you. Everything you are, all of your capacities all come from the Creator God. And when we give, and you hear me say this ad nauseum here, that's when we give, that's why it's an act of worship here. It is our way of saying thank you, God, for the blessings in my life. And here's the thing, God made a promise about this whole thing about giving. It's the only place in Scripture he says, test me, try me, tithe and watch me bless you. Now, I need to say this because I rail on this. I despised 
people who stand up, who are supposedly preaching the gospel and who will preach a gospel that says that Christians, all Christians are entitled to have only the best things in life. That is balderdash. And folks, balderdash is Greek for it's nonsense. God never promises that everybody is going to have a Cadillac in their driveway and that their house is going to be a mansion. None of that is promised to you. And if you don't have those things, if somebody says because you don't have those things, you don't have faith, shame on them. They don't know their Bible. God God loves poor people. He loves rich people. It doesn't have anything to do with that. But he has promised to bless you. And all I know is that God has provided for my family every time we needed him to provide for our family. We have a good testimony because of God's blessing. We've just tried to honor him. And we made deliberate choices, Darlene, and I continue to because it's a blessing. Listen to me. It's a blessing to live a generous life. I want to be generous, not just with money, but with time, with what I'm with what I'm able to do. I want to be a generous person. And I will tell you, folks, what we do with our treasures says an awful lot about how much we love the Lord. Because here's the question. Son of man. Daughter of man. Do you love me more than these And I want to answer with a resounding, yes, Lord. Yes, I do. I love you more than I love my job. And I'll I'll wrap it up here because I thought I was doing pretty well with this one. And the Lord pointed out to me one day how I was making an idol out of ministry. And I loved being a minister. And how that was taking priority over my family. And taking priority over other things in my life. And the Lord just shot me down. And he said, Ken, don't tell me you love me when you love ministry more than you love me. So, so you know, I've had the sinker conversation a few times too. Probably will for the rest of my life. So what consumes your treasure? It's an indicator. This is. The sinker conversation with Jesus. This is that breakfast meeting for you. This is Jesus calling your name and say, son of man, daughter of man, do you love me?